Hello, welcome to Stacked. I'm Amanda. And I'm Zipporah. And we're two friends who connected over our shared love of books and their power to demystify the world around us. So if you're the kind of person who can't leave their house without a book... Or you still remember the first book you couldn't put down. Or you love long journeys because it gives you a really good chance to read. Then join us each episode as we discuss the books we've read and how they've changed us, saved us, made us laugh. And cry. Or even disappointed us. It happens. (laughs) You can find Stacked wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at TheStackedPod. Hey. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I'm always good three or twice, three or two times. <laughs> How are you feeling going into the last episode? Can you believe it's the last episode? No. Like, I don't know what... Yeah, like, it's been, well, like, our whole world yeah. for the last three months. Yeah, yeah. Oh, literally, entire world. And now it's coming to an end. What a journey. For now. <laughs> yeah, for now. <laughs> <laughs> but what what a journey I've been doing a lot of reflecting on that actually just in the past week or so like coming up to this last episode and uh I don't know it just feels incredible that we've achieved this that we've done this I'm really proud of us (laughs) I'm I'm so proud of us I'm gonna try and not get emotional during this episode but (laughs) no crying honestly (laughs) I will yeah (laughs) <laughs> no but I, I might for real just because yeah we did it friend we did it yeah we did it yeah so welcome to the last episode of this season welcome welcome thank you for sticking with us so far on this journey I'm now also reflecting yeah <laughs> but like live <laughs> live and direct no yeah no exactly what Zavora said thank you for listening to the episodes which I hope you've listened to them (laughs) if you're joining now welcome (laughs) stick around go backwards (laughs) but yeah no it's been it's been such a so much has been learned yeah I've learned so much and I think so much more than I thought I was going to I thought I would mainly learn about like you know podcasting as like an industry and whatever else but I think what's most important or what has been like the most poignant to me or the loveliest part about this whole journey is I feel like I've learned more about us and like our friendship (laughs) as well during this whole thing. What have you learned? I don't know I feel like we've learned to like lean on each other more Mm. we've learned to kind of communicate or communicate and compromise like effectively mm. I would hope from my perspective speaking as of now <laughs> I don't know what's coming but in this moment and yeah like I don't know I just feel like it's like our friendship has grown yeah 100%. like doing this and like that's been really nice yeah like I was saying to you earlier that I've actually been surprised by our chemistry yeah like I knew we like to talk about books and this is a kind of way to force those conversations that yeah we weren't having enough mm-hmm. but now that we get to have them like as a job yeah and I'm always so surprised by like how easy that part of it comes I actually think the conversations that we have and like the actual just recording with you when we actually just sit down and just talk is the easiest part of this whole entire thing yeah recording is has been like the easiest part of this all everything else around it well not everything else but it's it's been a journey it's been been a challenge yeah it's been challenging but i am i am really proud of us and yeah for like like i was talking to no, I was listening. I talking to myself. Yeah, <laughs> I was listening to. No, I was talking to Bryony about it, and she, mm-hmm. my friend, she was, she had just listened to the first episode. Yeah, and she was saying how like good it was, and I, and it made me laugh how like um, behind the scenes, like you're like ah, yeah, and yeah. then you just get like um a, like a polished product. And I was yeah. telling her that, and she was like, it's like showbiz, and it's like <laughs> that is how I feel. I feel like now I feel like um 
we're, we're in the showbiz. We're in the show. We're in showbiz. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when people go in interviews and they say, you know, like the creating is really fun, but it's the industry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's literally it, and that is actually true. It's um, the business side. <laughs> it's the business side of this whole thing. Um, that I feel like we've actually had to like learn and to work at, whereas mm. the other side of it, just like the content and the discussing books and whatever else that has come so naturally and has been so enjoyable. So yeah. Yeah, it gives me it gave me even more like clarity about why we're doing this. Because yeah. that part has been Yeah. Exactly. Smooth, smooth sailing. Smooth sailing. So with that being said are you reading anything at the moment? What's going to be your last, um, your last book of the season? Oh my god! Oh yeah, no, it's not even a real a, a book that's really fun. Mm-hmm. I'm reading this book called "Freeing the Natural Voice." Freeing the natural voice. Yeah, you know, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I'm so afraid of public speaking. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. I'm one of those people that when I start to public speak, my hands shake yeah but like this like people can see and I have to like hold on to them and like so today we're going to talk so I just wanted to learn some techniques and Mm -hmm. then because my brother's an actor he recommended it okay cool so I've been using it yeah and it's working Mm -hmm. I think I feel like I'm a bit louder I feel like I'm a bit more confident but essentially it feels like people are saying that good public speaking is basically being able to be yourself in front of a crowd yeah Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean you have to be like loud and booming mm-hmm. like some great public speakers are softly spoken yeah like ocean vong yeah i'm just exactly. gonna keep bringing him up we love every ocean episode because mm-hmm. <laughs> i think he speaks with quiet confidence and i think that's what it is with like public speaking right it's mm. just that being self-assured and being you know yeah confident yeah i love listening to him speak so that sounds cool actually yeah. i feel like that's the kind of self-help i can get behind yeah because it feels practical <laughs> you know, like practical like I can actually it is it's really good yeah. it's very practical also okay cool well, what did you say what's called again Freeing the Natural Voice by Kristen Linklater okay Freeing the Natural Voice alright cool what about you I've been reading nonfiction. You're going to be so proud what? of me. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, everybody sit down. Yeah. <laughs> it does go with a little caveat though because it is like a a collection of essays, but I'm cat. That's no, non-fiction. That is non-fiction. Yeah, exactly. It's the only kind of non-fiction I ever like. Yeah, read, I was going to really. say that's still your brand. Though. Yeah, that's <laughs> still my brand. And it's Joe Everybody Didion. stand up. <laughs> False alarm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's literally Joe Didion. So, Don't get me excited, my man. <laughs> once again, writers writing about writing. <laughs> I love Joe Didion. Yeah, so I've been reading the White Album, which is I've never read that before. I love the name. The White Album. Yeah, right. Because I've previously read Slouching Towards Bethlehem, is which good? is, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. That was actually the first Joan Didion that I ever read. And then I went on to read like Play It As It Lays and all, all actual fiction. But with the White Album, so I've only so far read like the titular essay, which is <laughs> also called, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> is this funny? Tits. <laughs> Sorry. Euler. Grow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Amanda, Amanda. Grow up. <laughs> But yeah, the first essay. It starts with what was one of like I think Joan Didion's most quoted lines and I think is like so perfect what for this. <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> but it's so perfect for the season. Well like the moral of the season. Moral of even like our own you and I and the way that we live. It, and it literally starts with the sentence We tell ourselves stories in order to live. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you do that on purpose? <laughs> Maybe. No, <laughs> no that's okay. really excellent. Yeah. When I started reading it, I was like, oh my God. Like, not my life being thematic. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> like, why does this keep popping up everywhere? But yeah, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. And I'm really enjoying reading it so far. The White Album. Okay. The White Album by Joan Didion. We need to do a book swap. Yeah, sure. Of all the books that we listed at the in, in the intro. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be really fun actually. Let's do that. So the final book of the season is Nervous Conditions by Sitsi Dangaremga. It's the first instalment of a trilogy of post-colonial novels that centre Tambu, the main character, 
and her fight to lift herself and her family out of poverty through education. So it begins in Tambi's village in colonial Rhodesia in the 1960s, which is now Zimbabwe, and covers so much ground. Gender politics, mm. racism, poverty, mm. tradition versus progression, education, and all from various female perspectives. So even though Tambu is the main character, the story really is following, you know, the lives of her cousin Yasha, her mom, her auntie, mm. her aunties. Mm. So yeah, it's a really important book to me and Zipporah because I feel like it's the first book that you ever recommended to me. Mm, yeah, it actually might be. Yeah, and yeah. I wanted to know why. Because we hadn't, like I know we said we like to read and we yeah. did English Lit at college. College is where we met. But I always think, because I, I, this book was, is so big to me, but yeah. I just always think, what made you just say, because you just gave it to me. Yeah. You're like, take this. You know, I feel like because it was so big to me as well when I read it I just I don't know I reacted so like viscerally to it like I felt like this is the best thing not like the best thing that I've ever read but I just felt so seen and so understood and all of these other things that everyone in my life that I felt like would feel that same exact way I was like you have got to read this (laughs) like you've got to read it now and yeah i don't know something about it just said you know what i should tell amanda to read this it's it's, and it's funny that you said that everyone should read this because after i read it i felt like i was just buying it for everyone yes like giving it out like gospel like read this read this on birthdays and whenever people said they didn't like it i didn't trust them (laughs) (laughs) i was like well i just like cross a line yeah (laughs) over their name (laughs) in a black book (laughs) dead to me dead to me (laughs) um i bought it for like my male cousins as well I was like, yeah, you guys need to read this. Inha- inhale this. <laughs> <laughs> Just so they would understand, I think, to me, more of like the female perspective. Like you've said, I think that's why I loved it so much upon my first reading. Just because how it does focus on the female perspective of like stories that we've heard and stories that we've been told our whole entire lives. And it's only when you read something like this that you're like, oh my God, how would I never considered it from this angle? And like how it gives, it adds on so much texture and so much like to me, like detail. One of the big things, yeah, yeah, like, you know how, I feel like oftentimes men, maybe all of us Mm. do this thing where we're like, yeah, you know, no, I think I'm going to say men. You can, <laughs> say it. If, if I'm wrong, you can just say it. Correct me. But men will be like, you know, I want a, a wife who's like my mom, and my mom always cooked and she did everything and she was amazing. Mm. And I feel like this book went behind the curtain and was like, your mom hates you. <laughs> like, <laughs> your mom is sick of it. Yeah, she your doesn't mom want to was do it. Depressed. Like, she doesn't want to cook. <laughs> okay. She doesn't, like, one out of 10 women love cooking. <laughs> And that's a fact. <laughs> I didn't make that up. <laughs> and I really, exactly what you said about like not realizing that there was this whole backstory of like sisters, mums, mm. aunties just mm-hmm. missing. Yeah. Even though we all have sisters, mums, and aunties mm. who have probably like dropped it in sometimes. Yeah. And we just, I feel like this was like, yeah, backstage. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it was like, let's really get into this. You know, let's really examine this. <laughs> and you're actually so right because, and I feel like you're right, men, men, <laughs> men do do that all the time. That whole thing about, you know, the women of this generation, they don't want to blah, blah anymore. My mom used to go to work, come back home at 8 p.m. Dinner was on the table by 8.30. Three courses. <laughs> women these days, they want to do blah, blah. And it's like, do you think your mom was happy doing that? Do you know what you did to her? Do you know that? Do you think that's the life that she imagined for herself? And this book told us that it isn't. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that's what she wanted for herself? Yeah, and I feel like in this book, they now turn around and be like, hey, guess what? Women have dreams. Women have dreams. <laughs> like, women have hopes and aspirations that extend beyond the kitchen and the village and the market or like whatever else. We have dreams. We have dreams. And it's not to say that sometimes we don't like doing those things, mm. or, but it's just, it can't be, that's it, only yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. But yeah, just oh. also like fun facts. Yeah. I'm already <laughs> so getting Now that we're heated, yeah. we're going to dial it back with some fun facts. I'm already getting heated. Deborah's fists are clenched. <laughs> 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 She's like, I have dreams. 
I'm already like pointing at the table. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, so we see why this book was so influential to us. It makes us feel. <laughs> it makes us feel so oh much. My gosh. Oh uh, God. Okay. Yeah. Let's, okay. let's, let's turn it down. Let's <laughs> not burn out too quickly. Say some fun facts. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first book published by a black woman in English mm. in Zimbabwe. And also that Sitsi Dangaronga dropped out of med school. And I'm glad she did. Yeah, smart queen. Would we have this if she was running around the hospital? And that's good work. That's good work, doctors. Mm -hmm. But storytelling is also... (laughs) No shade. (laughs) No shade. No shade to the medical profession. (laughs) I'm just saying that this is a really important book and storytelling is powerful, so... Yeah. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. She was, she just said that she hates, she realised that she didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I love that for her. She was like, you know what, actually, no, I'm going to go right. Yeah, she left the UK, went back to Zimbabwe and was like... Nice. So, um, now that we've kind of discussed the book in general, why is it a book, why is this a book that made you, Amanda? For me, it felt like it covered, one, an experience that I had personally as someone from the diaspora, so whose parents are from Ghana and Liberia and who still uphold certain cultures. But then also, yeah, I think when they were coming to the UK, definitely looked at it like, wow, this is going to be, everything's going to change. So there was like a kind of trust in British culture that it would lift us up. Mm. And then getting here and then realising, eh. Not so much. Yeah, and then so I, I just, what I saw in this book was, one, how like the colonial legacy plays out in terms of like how you see your own culture Mm. and how you then like disproportionately venerate white culture. Yeah. Yeah, like what you give up when you try to assimilate, when you take that too far. Mm. And also I think I used to blame myself a lot in terms of when my parents would, because I didn't know how to speak any of like Chui or my mum's language, which is called Greba. I can't speak any of them. Mm. And I used to feel really bad about it. And then I just realised... It's not my fault. They didn't teach it to me. Yeah. And so I really identified with Nyasha because it felt like they expected things from her that they did not teach her. Mm -hmm. They taught her that British culture, that kind of, that was a refined way of being. Yeah. So she fully adopted that behavior and that way of thinking. And then they punished her for it. Yeah. So it was just gave me clarity about the things that were, things I felt conflicted about, things I didn't understand Mm -hmm. were kind of made clear after reading this book. Mm -hmm. What about you? Why was it a book that made you? Because obviously you started this train. <laughs> no, I think literally, as we mentioned previously, it's just I love the whole female perspective of it. And I, also because I feel like it gives us the female experience of this time in Zimbabwe at every level. So you have Tambu, who obviously grows up in the village, is less privileged and you kind of get to see her perspective. But then you also see the perspective of like her mother, who's essentially kind of like, who's essentially, I feel like represents Tambu's future if... She doesn't escape. Yeah, if she doesn't escape and is like constantly showing or representing to the reader what is actually really at stake here for Tambu. Because if she doesn't do what she can to get this education, she's going to end up exactly like her mother and exactly her mother's circumstances and her situation. And we all know how that goes. And then also, then you get like Nyasha and my guru who are a bit more privileged. Obviously, Nyasha has grown up in the UK and then now goes back to Zimbabwe. So you see her experience of, you know, returning, as you're saying, to Zimbabwe after assimilating into English culture and just like that kind of fractured identity thing. And I think it made me just because like I related to Nyasha like so, so much. We'll talk about that a bit more later on. But yeah, so yeah, that's why it made me. I just felt fully represented for the first time in a novel. And then also I think especially because it's Zimbabwean and that's like say I'm Malawian and Malawi and Zimbabwe are like right next to each other so it felt even closer to home than other books or novels that I've read about colonialism in like West Africa for yeah, example I was gonna say yeah that's most of it yeah like literally it felt so much closer to home it was a lot more relatable for me especially like culturally because it's so similar to like really? my culture yeah 
interesting. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely like some intermingling and some bleeding in and out, like culture-wise there, between Malawi and Zimbabwe. So yeah, that's why it had such an impression on me to begin with. I think another reason that it, it had a big impression on me is also the way that it deals with class. Mm, yeah. Especially for people who are moving in and out of different classes. Yeah. So like I born working class mm. I mean I feel like I still am but mm. also not I feel like mm. I am moving out of it mm. if not already if I'm not already out of it mm. and it's like how you live in a certain state it's normal then you experience wealth or yeah. luxury mm. and you come back to where you were and you like you're disgusted yeah you yeah. You, you feel you experience the shame mm-hmm. and, and and having to learn not to be ashamed mm-hmm. Or even to question why mm-hmm. you feel shame. Mm-hmm. Because it for Tambu, isn't that she decides that she wants to now go back and live on the homestead. She mm-hmm. she's clearly does not want to live that way. Mm-hmm. But I feel like she also made a decision about how she wouldn't let British culture erase her Shona culture. Mm-hmm. Not just her culture, but like the things that she learned as someone who was like of the working class Mm -hmm. even how she is able to take those skills to almost to pay for her school schooling for a bit yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so that too Mm -hmm. so like we said there are many female characters in the book Mm -hmm. you kind of alluded to your favorite Mm -hmm. (laughs) so why is Nyasha your favorite character in the book Uh, I felt like Nyasha is me I'm gonna try and like not get too deep or like too emotional into it Go there. (laughs) You like cry. (laughs) (laughs) You said you were gonna cry. Cry. (laughs) But yeah, like her story kind of see growing up in the UK, then also going back home to Zimbabwe and kind of having to accommodate these two very different spaces and then just having trouble like reconciling them both with each other. So because she's grown up in the UK and she's kind of embraced and been encouraged to embrace these western ideals things like i don't know gender equality and like the importance of like individual self-expression things that you're taught are important in western ideal well in western society sorry and then she goes back home to zim and these are all things that are now causing her to feel alienated from her own culture and her own society which can obviously be so alienating when you've been taught to feel and to think and to see yourself even especially a certain kind of way and then you go back to what should be home and you find that everything that you think and feel and how you are is just unacceptable within that society or like within those con- within those contexts so i think that was something that i really related to like when it came to like Nyasha and I think especially like her struggle to find a way to exist in both of these places without losing herself so to exist in Zimbabwe without losing kind of these ideals that she has fair enough picked up from the western world but then which also ring very true to her like she doesn't feel like she should be forced to live a certain way because she's a woman she doesn't feel like she should be forced to do certain things because of who she is and she believes like in her own self and her own like ability to self-define and like obviously that's like a big part of like who she is and like her character and it's like one of her strengths I think that's a really good point and there's a point in the book where she's arguing with her dad yeah and Tambu's like why can't you just let it go because you know that you're right but you know that if you bring it up now it's just not gonna go down well Mm -hmm. and she's like I feel like I have to bring it up now because otherwise I'll forget Mm -hmm. and if I don't defend these ideas now Mm -hmm. I'll just become the person who I don't want to be which is someone who accepts it and is is quiet and just takes it yeah and so yeah I think for her it was really important to yeah like self like define herself yeah exactly and I think for me it was because I always felt like I was that exact same way as well, almost, where, like, I'd grown up partly in the UK and then obviously picked up all these kind of, well, quite westernised ideals. You know, and I was like, oh, you're so westernised, you're so westernised, blah, blah. And these were things that I was encouraged to look at as, you know, 
the best parts of me like oh yeah. she's so educated you know, yeah she's so educated she's well so read. opinionated she's so well read etc etc but then when I now take that learning and these opinions and whatever else and apply that to like Malawian culture then I'm evil you're a rebel yeah I'm a rebel you're, you're I'm lost you're rude yeah I'm rude I'm lost I don't know my culture I don't respect my culture I don't respect my elders, like all these other things. And then it's just kind of like, what do you want from me? Yeah, and the, the sad thing was that obviously I'm I'm guessing, yeah, like a big part of Western culture is like individualism. And it felt like the reason why Nyasha experienced so much pain, even as she defined herself, was that part of her did want to be part of the community. And of she, course. Yeah, and it was just like that part wasn't gone. Mm. But it... <laughs> I don't know, it takes me back to the thing I said at the beginning where I feel like, so in the book it mentions how when he gets the opportunity to go to the UK, his mum says, leave the children so that we can raise them here. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, I want to be in charge of that. I want to make sure that they're brought up right. Yeah. And then it's like, you, for you, like, Nyasha's, like, upbringing and his disappointment in it is only a reflection of his obsession with British culture yeah. and white culture or his trust in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why people think that you just... I think they take for granted how they absorb their own culture. Yeah, exactly. And then I think you said this, like, you said this earlier as well. It's a thing of, like, why are you expecting me to live in a way that you haven't taught me? You haven't taught me. I wasn't brought up that way. And who brought me up? Yeah, like... (laughs) (laughs) What now? (laughs) What now? They actually were fighting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were physically fighting. And it's like, I felt that. It feels like a physical fight. It feels like you're actually fighting for your life. No, but one night when they actually had the physical, where Nyasha hits her dad, Mm -hmm. which is like... Crazy. Yeah, like she gets into bed with Tambu, Mm -hmm. or Tambu gets into bed with her. Mm -hmm. In the morning, she says, you saved my life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, because even as an African person, that hitting your dad Mm -hmm. must rumble you. (laughs) (laughs) I actually can't even picture that. I can't picture... No, I can't picture can. anything around it. I can imagine your your parent trying to hit you and you moving back. And even that is like... <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what a fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So which woman... Who's your favourite woman in the book? So I... I for me, it's Tambu. Tambu Tsai. Tambu I love Tambu because... Well, it's not fair because she's writing the book and she's writing the book as an account so things have passed and she's able to offer her hindsight mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I like Tambu as the narrator mm. Tambu in the book <laughs> Tambu as a character I'm sorry Tambu as a character I'm sorry is because some of the things that she sees happening as the narrator she's like you know knowing what I know now I would have stood up for Nyasha and I would have but I could have she was able to hide behind being the grateful niece yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. and she she didn't ask for anything or challenge anything because she was kind of indebted to them and also I feel like especially when it comes to like Nyasha I feel like Tambu was essentially what Nyasha's dad wanted Nyasha to be mm. sorry I just wanted to add that point no yeah. that that is true mm. and yeah basically yeah so like she I feel like she wouldn't have spoken up at that time like for Nyasha because it's kind of like she was the one who was being seen in the better light yeah, but I, I actually think that she's still. I think she's better than that mm. because even the sorry because even the way know. the first <laughs> no because the first line in the book the way she's just like I, I was happy sorry. I was what, what is it no I have to get this right yeah because this is the one the, I wasn't sorry when my brother died let's see if the poorest probably got it <laughs> yeah I was not sorry when my brother died yeah I was just like it's burned into my mind it's literally burned into my mind that first line and I just feel like she. She has something like just about her. Mm-hmm. And when she is talking about what was happening with Nyasha, I do think that part of her enjoys, like you said, mm. that her dad is pleased with her and mm-hmm. wants Nyasha to be more like her. Mm-hmm. But I think she also understands that in what he wants her to be like, which is like her, is someone who is just not signing up for themselves. Yeah. Who's not, that basically is falling in line. Yeah. And I feel like even her acknowledging that. Yeah, I love Tambu the narrator, mm-hmm. like the person who's able to look and understand that all these things are actually wrong. Yeah. And how she, one of the things she doesn't like about Babu Mukuru is that 
whenever he's trying to discipline Nyasha, he always brings it down to her being a girl. Yeah. And how this behavior is just like, you're a woman. Yeah. How can you do this as a daughter? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. And yeah, Tamu in the book, I think. Especially when it comes to gender expectations, I think she was very much like, I'm not having that. Yeah. Like from the very beginning. Yeah. And I think you're right about like her, like as a narrator and a character is that she's not afraid to, or she doesn't shy away from painting herself like in an unflattering light. Because even like with the first line, even having that be the first line, you're not really endearing us to your character. Like she's not trying to endear us to her by being like, I didn't care my brother died. Yeah. So, Immediately I was like, yeah, <laughs> you better explain yourself. And then I didn't care either when he died. No, like when she explained it, I was like, you know what? Yeah. Kill him. You should have killed him. <laughs> so yeah I agree she doesn't shy away from like painting herself in like an unflattering light so I think you're right like if she did feel like she was better than Yasha or like enjoyed being considered better than Yasha she probably would have been like forthcoming about that in the book as well yeah and she um, but also she knew what she wanted to get out of it yeah she wanted to get out of poverty yeah and her poverty was very serious and real Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so in that sense, I empathise with her. Mm-hmm. But I always, I also think about her mum. Mm, yeah. I just, God, let's just take a, you know, some Mama silence for her mum. <laughs> I wanted so much more for her. Yeah, yeah, no, same. But it felt like her mum had come from an. She says that her mum's family was even poorer than yeah. her family. Mm-hmm. So if, imagine that this is a step up. Yeah. But there's a line in the book where her mum, like Tambu is not able to go to school mm-hmm. because her brother is... Um, they only have enough to send her brother. Yeah. And so she's complaining to her mum and her mum is kind of like, look, schools aren't for girls. And, you know, she goes, this business of womanhood is a heavy burden. When there are sacrifices to be made, you, ha- you are the one who has to make them. And these things are not easy. You have to start learning them early from a very early age. Mm. And I love that clarification mm-hmm. that the ways in which women are like the way that women tend to nurture people and take care and provide and compromise Mm -hmm. is not a natural Mm. innate Mm -hmm. reflexive easy thing no Mm. it is something that she's saying the quote goes on where she says even now it's not easy even Mm. though i've i've been training for this sport my whole life Mm It, she just goes, she gets depressed. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. a, there's even, it gets to a point where she's not even cleaning the toilet anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like pure depression. But then at the same time, my problem with Tambi's mom is that I'm then like, so why do you want this for your daughter? Like, why do you want the same thing for your daughter? I think it's the, the thing we talked about when we spoke about Beloved. Mm. Like, believing that this is how it has to be for women. Mm. And so... Yeah. And it, then especially if that's the way that it has been for you... And you're you've struggled your whole life. You've depressed. You're depressed. You realize that it doesn't have to be that way. How painful would that and be? And it's too late for you. Yeah. So I I I guess I kind of get then wanting to be like this is just how it has to be. You just have to learn, like because that's what you had to do. And misery needs company. Honestly, I felt so sorry for her, especially because mm-hmm. her dad was just. I mean, what was he doing? Not much. Yeah, not much. Literally just. A drunk. Yeah. Literally just a drunk living off of his older brother. What did you think of my guru? (sighs) So that's my thing with like my guru as well. I think all the women in this novel are like victims of patriarchy. Even the ones who have more than anyone else in the novel does. So for example, my guru, doesn't she have like a PhD or something? Yeah. Yeah, she's an educated educated woman. Yeah, as educated and an educated woman. And yet... She holds no real power in that house. None. At all. She's just begging and cajoling. Yeah, exactly. She holds no real power. So, which, even when I was reading it, then made me ask, so what is this, like, is an education enough then? Like, what Tambu is here, like, fighting for in order to emancipate herself from poverty? Is an education going to be enough in that current society when even educated women have to answer to their husbands read the trilogy guys to find out yeah (laughs) (laughs) find out next time on (laughs) the book of not (laughs) no the book of not is amazing though yeah yeah it's it's very it's more it's way more interior though less plot yeah which is the the book of not is the second book in this trilogy 
I feel like in the Book of Not, that's when we really get further and further into kind of like as she grows older, we kind of get more into like the lasting colonial legacy and then kind of what that has meant for Zimbabwe as a self-governed country. I mean, in the end of the book, have they not gone independence? The Book of Not? This, the nervous conditions. I don't, I don't remember. Know. Yeah, I don't remember. Another thing that's done really well in this book is how Tambi's able to describe the administration of colonialism mm -hmm. and how even how that starts to change the structure of their culture and their area. Mm. So she talks about how the British build council houses next to their homestead so that they can administer the area. And then all the shops that are close to their village now move mm. to where the council houses are. Mm. And then they're no longer allowed to bathe in the river because the river is near where the council houses are and it's not considered decent. Mm. And so all these things are just changing. Like now they have to walk like a long way away to get food and everything is being catered towards a few people yeah. when the majority are there. And it, that just feels like it's still happening, but on a grander scale. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't even notice happening because of course we'll move to where the richer people are mm -hmm. people who can buy coke more frequently why wouldn't a shop person do that mm -hmm. but if the person knew that the implications of that movement maybe maybe they wouldn't have yeah but yeah and i just think that yeah i think that's the final thing i took away from this is just that like colonialism or capitalism like the, the promises are so empty no like mm -hmm. you think you went there to make more money and you've lost your culture oof yeah, wow. Yeah. We'll just stop. Yeah, no, that that was actually a word. That was actually a word. That was actually a word. Thanks. Oh my God. <laughs> Capitalism erases culture. Because the culture of it, because it's another culture. So yeah. It's like, it's like overriding. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Wow, see, learn something new every episode. I'm screaming. <laughs> Seriously. So we have reached out to you guys to get your opinion of the book. And we've heard back from one of our favourite commentators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always comes with the content. So at Queer African Reads on Instagram had something to say about Nervous Conditions. Nervous Conditions is like seminal post-colonial African text. And for me, it's not just Nervous Conditions, but the entire Tambunzai trilogy so when I started Nervous Conditions, the Book of Not had already come out and This Mournable Body was about to come out. This Mournable Body was even shortlisted for the booker. So when I read Nervous Conditions, I knew that I had to keep going and read the rest of the trilogy. And each book is so, like such a masterpiece in and of itself. Of course, Nervous Conditions as the fir very first one is the biggest masterpiece and it explores so many aspects of colonial and post-colonial living, especially for settler colonies. Zimbabwe was a settler colony. I myself am from a settler colony, Kenya, so it was very interesting to watch the, the evolution of this young African girl who's coming from an, a village just when the resistance movement is gaining a fever pitch. And she she considers herself to be like the special snowflake of the of the village and she wants to be better than everyone and you can see how much she grapples with like moving to a big city wanting to be a city girl <laughs> literally and figuratively and wanting wanting to ingratiate herself to whiteness and literally being chewed up and spat out by white supremacy so she starts off well this is throughout the the three books not just nervous conditions she starts out being this brilliant girl brilliant in her village and by the end of it, by the time she's worked her way up the ranks of white society, she, she's a nobody. And I think when I was reading that, because I had come from Kenya and I was, I was in white academia. And when I was in Kenya, I was brilliant and I was a special snowflake of the community. And joining white academia and realizing that I am at the bottom of the totem pole was a bit of a tambudzai moment for me as well, realizing that in the grand scheme of whiteness and white culture and white supremacy, you are nothing. 
and you are dispensable and in fact you will be ground to dust those three books are so powerful another thing that i loved about this no the book of not is that it, it's written in the second person so it's it's you do this and you do that you wake up one morning and you realize that you're worthless you know <laughs> you're reading it and you're reading it about yourself which for me was really powerful it really struck a chord with me yeah i was so happy when this morning my body was shortlisted for the Booker Prize. Same. Not because it's one of my favourites, because Nervous Conditions like, is yeah. a gazillion times better to me. Exactly. But I just think she needed that recognition. Yeah, I feel like she deserved it. I feel like the trilogy deserved it as well. So like, I was happy that The Smaller Body got that nomination. I feel like the Booker Prize and loads of these prizes should have a post-Thomas. Post-Thomas, does that mean dead? Mm-hmm. Okay, not dead, but like mm-hmm. a thing where they get to go back in history and pick the books that should have been given their <laughs> not moment. The Booker in hindsight. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to run that panel because Nervous Conditions deserves that yeah. platform. 100%. If you didn't say anything, how would I have known? Mm-hmm. Especially with those ugly covers. I never would have like, picked <sighs> I it even, up. I don't even know how we... How did you pick it up? You know what? I think... I actually found it by just researching post-colonial literature. Why are you and doing then it just that? Came, I don't know, girl. Because <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> I'm like, what do I say? <laughs> I like to learn. <laughs> but, but yeah, I googled like post-colonial literature because I wanted to read a bit more. Like I think after reading like you know things, things fall, fall apart. apart and I was like oh, okay. again and again yeah I was like we can we come up with over. something else <laughs> <laughs> so and it's up but then I saw that and I was like Zim Zimbabwe yeah she, I will absolutely be reading that so I was so happy that day mm-hmm. so yeah that was the first point mm-hmm. but yeah in terms of the idea of like participating in the game yeah and then essentially being ground to dust mm-hmm. I really felt that yeah yeah, no, I really, really felt that. But I think this is like one, one of my biggest, or like the one thing that stops me from liking Tambu as a character. <laughs> She's constantly trying to like, in, as they said in the voice note, ingratiate herself to whiteness, right? Yeah. Like into whiteness or into just like the culture in general. And I feel like no matter how much it beats her down, grinds her into dust, spits on her, says you're nothing. I feel like at no point does she like interrogate it. Like at no point does she sit down and think, hmm, why is it that I'm still fighting tooth and nail to be a part of something that just simply doesn't want me and not even just like doesn't want me but it's like she can't even recognize the role that like white hegemony or something has the role that it's had on her life I think she never really at least not in like um nervous conditions I feel like she never really really grapples with it that much yeah whereas I feel like with Nyasha it's like all that she can think about to the point where she develops like an eating disorder and just because she can feel this like conflict within herself whereas like I feel like Tambu never feels it as a conflict within herself she feels it as like a wider conflict so you're right that in the other books she does mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like she essentially quits her job because yeah. she realizes that I've given everything yeah, and, and you still. guys, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that the situation with Nasha is different because Nasha has, has a bit more privilege than her mm, and mm, yeah, and true. Tambu is still trying to lift up her family yeah, and true. like there's a bit when she comes home and she's like, ask her mom, how come you haven't cleaned the toilet? Mm-hmm. And she's like embarrassed that her mom is constantly reminding her why she has to escape. Mm-hmm. And I think for her, it's like, yeah, she 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 keeps going to that, and for me, it's like, why don't you just give up? Yeah. But but also the thing about life is that when you give up, it just gets worse. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like somehow you have to fight, mm-hmm. even when giving up is probably. Mm. I, I, there's many times where you just think, I just want to give up, but then yeah. you just know as soon as you do, everything just gets worse. Yeah. Just gets worse. So I feel like, yeah, I I, I think she just felt like I have to, I I, I can't afford to. Yeah. But I think it's not even exactly giving up that I wanted her to do. I don't mm. want her to give up. Get I want angry. her to Yeah. <laughs> Fight. Yes, Tambo. I want you to be angry. Scrap. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, get angry. Get mad. And at the right thing as well. And realize like what circumstances have led to you and the entire country of Zimbabwe being being where you're at right now. Whereas like I feel like instead of like rejecting 
kind of this idea or like these ideals where they're like they're placing different cultures or like you know aspects of different culture like above her own she just kind of she never interrogates why is it like you were saying before about how when you're moving from like you know class to class and like the kind of shame that can bring about like your beginnings or whatever I don't think she ever sits down and says like why am I ashamed of where I'm coming from no and I think what her character represents is most people Mm. and how most of us will just try our best to make some money get Mm. a house have some food to eat and like again I don't want to keep going back to Beloved yeah but why not but also Sitsi Dangaramba says that Beloved is the is the novel that is the most given her the most inspiration in her life so full circle yeah same girl (laughs) no same (laughs) yeah so I think that in there is also someone who is like talking about the issue with not reckoning with yeah like the things that operate operating on your mind mm-hmm. on your economic situation because mm-hmm. you think you don't have time and you think you just have to make money but it's like this thing is eating you up inside yeah and you're you're dying a bit every day mm-hmm. so I feel like yeah I don't know I think it you're right and I just feel like too many of us just keep going on every day yeah without stopping to think why yeah, why? Don't want to say capitalism, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's always that. No, I think that just kind of made me realise why, or made me come to a realisation as to why I've always preferred Nyasha to Tambu, which is probably, like, unfair on my part because you're so right about the fact that Nyasha was, like, a lot more privileged. And I think, as we've discussed earlier in the season, that kind of because she's not having to worry about what, what to eat, where she's sleeping, et cetera, et cetera. She has the time to think about these kind of larger metaphysical kind of questions. Whereas like, yeah, she doesn't have time for that. Sorry, Tambu doesn't have time for that because she's trying to lift herself up from something that's very real and very immediate, mm. you know? So yeah, maybe I'm being a bit unfair, but... Damn, <laughs> I hate I'm, that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> she made me sick. Oh, I just feel like she's weak, but it's not fair. It's not fair to think no, that because she's not yeah. weak. She's not, and like even the fact that Nyasha respects her so much is because yeah. there's something about Tambu that is sturdy and yeah. honestly, I really think she's just like. Yeah. I think also she's a child, so we gotta give her yeah, that grace. Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm talking about a 13 year old. I'm like, get it together. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> but sometimes that was my issue with Nyasha. Like I wish mm. she would just get practical mm-hmm. I'm like okay we get it yeah. but use your brain now and reconcile some things yeah. and move forward yeah. because mm-hmm. they're not you're not leaving Zimbabwe yeah mm-hmm. so yeah. let's <laughs> but you know and I love how in her like getting practical or trying to um, take control take control that's when she develops like the eating disorder right yeah and yeah I was just like and even that I think was something that kind of like resonated with me not even because I've ever had an eating disorder but it was just like the fact that she was like, if I can't control anything else that's around me, at the very least, I can control my own body. Mm. But it's the fact that even that was then seen as, oh, so I think I think this was Tambu's mom that said it. Or maybe, yeah, she says, I don't remember, mm. I'm sorry. But essentially, they say that um, this is what happens when, you know... You read too much. Yeah, no... <laughs> No, no, like, this is what happens when you're so westernised. So, like, even, or, like, they they call it because of, like, her brush with, like, Englishness or whatever else. And I think for me, it just kind of reminded me when I was younger and I was, like, grappling with these same issues of identity myself. And I feel like sometimes it does manifest in very, very destructive ways that you don't even realise. But then to you, it feels like taking control or, like, reclaiming something. Asserting yourself. Yeah, asserting yourself just because you're being destructive essentially mm. but like just think do, doing the same thing and thinking like okay this is how I'm going to show them and then them being like mm, see there's that there's that western and you <laughs> they're like this is exactly what we're talking about <laughs> so this is exactly what we're talking about so yeah Nyasha yeah I, I like that you know it turned out okay for her though yeah. so. I actually don't know what happened in the I haven't finished this monobo body oh okay cool does it turn out good for Nyasha but I can remember. Or maybe I'm thinking of the book of not. I'm not sure if I finished this mortal body okay, myself. Okay. Maybe I'm thinking of the book of not. But okay. I hope it turned out well for Yeah. <laughs> so 
welcome to our book recommendation section. So this is essentially where our listeners, our lovely, lovely listeners, send in their book requests or just really weird, random, strange, very niche book requests. And then we try and fulfill them and make some recommendations based on that. So you can just think of us as your book agony aunts. Book fairies. Your whatever you want to call it. Whatever us. you want. Just we want to recommend you books. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this week we have a request from a non-binary queer listener who has quote unquote thankfully recently <laughs> come out of a relationship with a cis straight man. <laughs> I'm, g- <laughs> I'm kidding. Well done. Oh, you know when one person in the crowd just starts clapping, <laughs> everyone looks at them. Okay, so this listener has asked for essentially resources. Apart from they said in the past they only had articles from Teen Vogue, so <laughs> they would like resources on how to speak to your partner about gender. And they want a recommendation that's going to help them kind of develop their thoughts and their opinions so that going forward they can, I suppose, express themselves a bit better with partners on the topic. Yeah. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. What have you got? So this was a really fun one for me. I really enjoyed doing this and I hope that these recommendations are helpful. So the first one is actually, I think, the first book on gender that I ever read like that was obviously very focused on gender and this is Gender Trouble by Judith Butler it's definitely I wouldn't say that it's like the most accessible I'm not gonna lie I read it because it's quite dense okay yeah I'd say that it's quite dense like quite because it is like theory and criticism so and like Judith Butler is like a academic yeah she's an academic so it is almost like an academic text but I don't think that it's completely inaccessible and then I think also it's kind of especially when we're talking about gender and what this listener wants to do which is kind of like equip themselves with you know like these facts and kind of like irrefutable opinions I suppose then the fact that it is an academic text is almost a plus yeah because it Um, kind of gives you those tools to advocate exactly exactly and she takes like a really really critical approach to gender and the book kind of explores how and why we construct social categories such as man and woman and obviously like I've been hearing for years like oh gender's a social construct and I think I understood it on one level but I didn't really understand it deeply And I think reading this book helped me understand gender as a social construct much better, essentially. And one of my biggest takeaways from this book, which I really, really loved, right, was the fact that it kind of taught me that social norms, especially when it comes to like things like gender, they can't continue to enforce themselves without kind of like our own complicit action in replicating them. So especially when it comes to gender and as like speaking as a feminist myself, I feel like I'm always trying to like interrogate get, like gender and the ways in which I add to like issues of gender. Mm, or participate. Exactly how I participate and how sometimes I feel like we can always feel like participation is okay as long as like you're aware of yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. And I think this what kind of made me realize that participation also is complicity, you know, and that we have to actively try and push against norms in order to kind of like break these ideas that society tells us about gender and that we replicate in our own lives. Mm. So I think that one's going to be like a really good one for that. It definitely made like conversations about gender easier to have for me. Uh, I'm going to pick that up. Yeah, I should. Like it's one of those... How thick are we talking? Uh, We're talking about like 300 to 400 pages, but dense. But I feel like it's one of those that you can read bit by bit. By bit. bit. Okay. Yeah, because you learn so much, even from like tiny little sections little of it. Okay. So that's going to be my first recommendation, which is Gender Trouble by Judith Butler. And then can we just actually, can I get applause for, reckon, uh, for recommending a nonfiction? Thank you. Oh, yes. Yes. Everybody stand up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Yeah, this is actually it. This time. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. But again, it's feminist. This is still so on brand. Oh my goodness. 
I'm patting myself on the back still. <laughs> little wins. Yeah, little, it's, it's, it's a little thing. It's the beginning. <laughs> and then we also had another recommendation. Something a bit lighter. Yeah, something a bit lighter. And this time, you know, back to fiction. Because who would I be? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not Zephora. <laughs> okay, so the second recommendation was Orlando by Virginia Woolf. I'm not sorry about it. Why would you be? I'm not sorry about it because I feel like <laughs> people might be like, again, again. Do you know what? If people write good things, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> Ignore it. Virginia <laughs> did what she did. Exactly. But so Orlando is kind of like this gender bending novel that Virginia Woolf wrote loosely based on her lesbian lover called Vita Sackville West. Lovely name. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's the name of a poet. Like, it's literally like Vita Sackville West. I'm like, yeah, you go write some shit. <laughs> but, <laughs> were they a poet? Yeah, yeah, they were, they okay. were. So it's, yeah, essentially a gender-bending story and it spans several centuries. So Orlando is initially introduced to us as obviously like a male, an aristocrat, I believe. And then a couple hundred years go by and the character just randomly is now a woman. So it's like, it's very, it plays around with like gender and relationships. And it's like literally a love letter to this person that Virginia Woolf loved for most of her life. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting one. So I think it's interesting, actually, that even back then, you can kind of see Wolf thinking about the ways in which gender is like constructed socially, because that's yeah. essentially what the book kind of deals with. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really well done. Yeah, so, and it spans <laughs> centuries, and I think the last bit comes right before the suffragette movement. Okay, so those are going to be our little recommendations, and we hope that they're helpful. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, please. And everyone, please send in your book requests. Like, keep sending them in. DM mm. us at the Stacked Pod. Like we said, this is our favorite part. <laughs> yeah, honestly, <laughs> of please. the episode. <laughs> okay, so back to nervous conditions. We're going to wrap up by discussing what our main takeaways were from this book. So, Amanda, what was your main takeaway? I think my main takeaway... I'm going to talk about my main takeaway after reading it again. Mm. Because I think the first time it was all that stuff about class and seeing the the behind the scenes of how women really experience patriarchy Mm -hmm. day to day. But now I think my takeaway was... I was I, I was identifying a bit more of Nyasha and I felt like mm-hmm. what I just said to you about I it's really important to stop and try to reconcile for me anyway British culture with my Ghanaian Liberian cultures yeah. mm-hmm. and to take the good leave the bad mm-hmm. in both yeah because then you just otherwise you get really confused and it's just a bit of a mess mm-hmm. and yeah so I feel like yeah it's really important to stop and be conscious and think about the parts of British culture that are really ugly mm-hmm. like the parts of individualism that are kind of cool and the mm-hmm. parts that are like stop mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to think about the community yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so mm-hmm. yeah i think that is what it gave me the second time around mm-hmm. um what about you yeah i completely agree with that and i think that is actually like an ongoing struggle for me i don't know how to do it yeah <laughs> i don't know how to be a part of like two cultures and then also at the same time do them both justice while doing yourself justice at the same time does that make sense it does make sense but i think like for example when they say that equality or feminism is like a western culture i'm like oh Mm -hmm. you know like we're saying that the women in this story for example Mm. are african women and steeped in african culture but did not want to do those things yeah so I don't know if that's not if that's us not doing our culture justice or mm. just something that Western culture has been very kind of shouting about mm. that we're able to take away and try to impose on our British culture. I mean, our African cultures. But is it just that people don't accept us? Is that what makes it difficult to accept ourselves? Maybe. Maybe so. And maybe it's just about, like, I don't care if you don't think this is African enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't care if you don't think I'm African enough. This is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a child of the diaspora. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> no, but I honestly don't even think that you are. 
like I feel like I'm a child of the diaspora, but I think you are. What do you think I am? You're Malawian. Well, yeah, true. But like, really, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got you messed up. So then it's like you think that because you're not Malawian. Do you think? No, I think that because you were born there because you you didn't come here until you were grown. Yeah. Uh, no? Yeah, no. Were you back in and out? I mean, in and out when I was younger. Mm. So when I was like ten or so, so I'd be like back and forth because my dad lived here. But I think it's because you have no concept of like Malawianness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then you're like, okay, yeah, you're like Malawian. Yeah. But then like, mm. I don't know, like other so people you, are like other Malawians. But I, I also think that. I don't know, culture is like just the, culture is like of the moment and it's mm. of the people who are the most powerful. Mm. And yeah, we're always advocating for culture to adopt certain bits. Yeah. And I feel like if those of us who feel different things just say, well, I'm not Malawian because mm. I don't feel this way or that, then it's like, then how do we take it where it needs to go? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would never say that I'm not Malawian. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is what no, I call yeah. myself. But like... I can't run away from the fact that there's a lot of like things culturally that one I'm not even aware of to begin with just because I haven't been exposed to them yeah two I don't agree with yeah just because of the other things that I have been exposed to yeah and then three just I don't know I feel like the way in which I express or like my self-expression is another thing that like leads people to be like hmm because I feel like there's cultural practices and things yeah. like that as well that yeah. I just don't subscribe to. Yeah. It's, I mean, same with like Ghanaian library. There's some that I do subscribe to and others, like you said, I couldn't even subscribe because I don't even know mm-hmm. anything about it. Yeah. I don't even know what I don't know. Yeah. And it's like, are there, are there levels of Malawianess or mm. Ghanaianess or are there levels? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I just, the bits I have, those are the bits I deal with. It's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's good enough for me. So my main takeaway is kind of just a continuation of the themes that we've been talking about. I think just more like the unawareness of the continuing effects of like colonialism Mm. on the African continent. Um, Because I think that's one of those things where before I used to think you gained your independence and we're self-governing now and then, you know, all that's in the past and et cetera, et cetera. I think especially because you don't have to deal with race as much like back in Africa that you don't really think that race is really anything that even still has an effect on like our psyche and our consciousness in general. But it 100% does because we still, in so many ways view our own culture as inferior or like lacking in some kind of way Mm. who knows how many years on and I just feel like it makes me sad when I think of the turmoil that causes like just within a people within a person yeah like exactly it's almost like the thing that Afua Hirsch was talking about all the way in the first episode about a crisis of confidence we're not confident in ourselves and in our culture and in our beliefs. And we immediately have this impression that there is better cultures out there. Like there's better ways of being and seeing the world. And it's like yeah, so demoralizing. Until it's taken away. And then everybody's like, oh, the culture is going. The yeah. children don't listen. Oh my God. So true. Literally so true. What do these people want? Anyway, that's my takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> that's my takeaway. The boys' takeaway is that there's an ongoing struggle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's within me. Okay. Yeah, wow. So that's it. She's <laughs> 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 outro. That's it. Okay, wow. So that's it. <laughs> no, we can say that. Yeah, we can. Yeah. yeah. Go on. Okay, well. So, well, yeah, that's it. Can you believe it? <laughs> I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm so proud. Yeah. Excited and proud. Excited and proud. Yeah, no, same. And I'm just so grateful as well. And we had pl- plans to do, to like start this much later, but I'm actually really happy that we just did it. Yeah, same. Like we just got up and we just did it. We I got think- up off our asses and we worked. <laughs> we- <laughs> 
It's like nobody wants to work anymore. Except for us. <laughs> we are not the women Kim Kardashian we're talking about. <laughs> oh, that's the problem these days. We're <laughs> actually terrible people. Oh, God. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into our last episode and also hopefully the whole season. Please. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Honestly, don't just come in at the end, uh, you know. No, but come in. Well, you know. <laughs> come in, but go all the way to the start, please. Because we want to keep doing this. We want to keep doing this. Yeah, we will. We will. But, you know, it would be nice if you came along for the journey. Yeah. Wow. I don't want it to end. I know. I'm like, how do we say goodbye? <laughs> I keep wanting to be like, next time. I know. I'm like, there's no next time. <laughs> Join us next time when we discuss. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you, guys. Thank you to everyone who listened. Thank you to everyone who's commented and told us what they thought. Yeah. If there's anything you guys want more of, let us know. Yeah. Please let us know. This is a community. It's a democracy, kind of. <laughs> you know, within reasons. Within don't, reasons. Don't, don't go crazy. Don't go crazy. Change the logo. <laughs> Mind your business. <laughs> Change the name. Mind your business. <laughs> um, but otherwise, we're taking like suggestions. <laughs> but other than that. <laughs> Yeah, but otherwise we'll take suggestions. But yeah. But I guess in the meantime, please come to our little booked community. We're still going to be quite active on there. Yeah, we're going to still answer your book requests yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. So make sure you're following the Stacked Pod on Instagram. And then also so you can get any updates or any information and news about any upcoming seasons. Yeah, season two next. Yeah, exactly. You can follow me, Amanda, at Amanda Afwa. And me, Zipporah, at Black and Bound. Both on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll let you know when we're back for season two. This has been stacked for the last time this season. Yeah, for the last time this season. And for the last time this season, pick up a book. Pick up a book. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. Stacked is part of the ACAST Amplifier in collaboration with CC Co., The executive producer was Iwan Obinyan with production by II Studios.